welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, we finally discover Negan's victim, split up over creative differences, get one last vision, and discover some truths in the ongoing saga. Stay tuned for all this and more! started quiet that time i don't i don't know how uh, well welcome 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 everybody to the heck yeah comics podcast there's a to, time and place to mull over technical difficulties and, and then there's a time is, to let people know that my name is nick and that's david and my name is david endlessly complaining and I, i'm not endlessly complaining Look, oh, people oh. don't people don't know, but we, we you and I had had just, just had had been recording this show, this very episode in which we are now, and we were we were a good fortnight of minutes into it, and uh, and then things things went wrong, things went south, and we lost it, and we lost my my really great talk about Tim Tams, in which I informed the world of which Tim Tams are. You see, Tim Tams are these cookies that have come from Australia. <laughs> They have these two wafer bits in this kind of creamy center. <laughs> it's not the same. And this, no, I'm still so going can, with it. You I can have hear to, it in your voice. I have to tell the world what about, about Tim Tams. People, people need, if you want to learn more about Tim Tams, Google Tim Tams. But also go to your local grocery store and see if they are selling Tim Tams. At Kroger, they are currently on sale. Do yourself a favor, buy a box, eat them in one sitting, like a certain fat ass on this show. For the first time, it's not Nick. And regret it, because two cookies have 25% of your daily saturated fat, and an entire box is about 16 cookies. So do that math, and then just embrace embrace whatever's coming to you, because it's, uh, it's not pretty. First, uh, thanks for fat shaming me. Hey, I, I said, appreciate I said it wasn't you. I said it wasn't you. Oh, were you talking about yourself? Yes. David, why, why would you fat shame yourself? Because I... It's the only way that I can keep go to the corner, going. eat some Tim Tams. Go to the, I'm not. I'm not. Also, eating. I've never heard of Kroger's before. Kroger, I'm assuming uh, that's your local grocery store. Have you, have fries? Do you guys have fries there? It's like French fries? No, like fries. The grocery store. Do you have Wegmans? We do have a couple okay, Wegmans. What the crap is Wegmans? I have not been there, but apparently it's like so. You like say like a Sam's Club or a Costco or a BJ's. It's like that, but I guess entirely food. Okay. I guess. I have not. There, you, was, there was a Wegmans that opened a couple towns over. I have not got in, but apparently you, it's massive. Do you have to pay to get in? I don't think you need a membership, okay. but I, I really don't know. Because people, like, we're getting one here, and people talk about it in, like, cult-like phrases. And I'm very curious to be indoctrinated. Brand lawyer. <laughs> I'm very curious about being indoctrinated. I mean, hey. I'm really looking for that cult feeling. Look, look. I'm not saying like I want to join a cult, but I'm I'm into that feeling of acceptance and love. It's and, nice have like feel like feeling like you belong right before you drink poisoned Kool Aid. Right, like I'm I'm in I'm into that. I can get behind that. I, 
Man, <laughs> I say some terrible things in the opening of this show. Yeah, oh. no, and it doesn't get much better during the middle and the end of it. Um, oh, uh, I can't can't say you're wrong there. I can't say you're wrong. Um, but yeah, Tim Tams and other such things occurred. Now, I have a question. Mm-hmm. We lost our first 15 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. And you said of this episode, but we are now starting the episode over. So is it truly that this is the same episode as the one that we've been recording? So Because so, now the content has been altered. So now is this is... more like a reboot? This is uh, it's more like a rebirth, um, rebirth maybe, or yeah. or this is a uh, a time remnant, or that that, that that is a time remnant of that episode. Wouldn't the episode the episode that we lost be a time remnant? Look, it's time for the news. Our top story today: Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer dead at fifty-three. <laughs> I know it is sad. Over Barcelona today, the famed reindeer was hit by a flock of seagulls and a 747. <laughs> Eyewitnesses report that the reindeer in Spain was hit mainly by the plane. Oh, puns. Oh, Colin Mockery. Uh, I hope he never finds out that we're using him on this podcast, because I don't have... I mean, he's Canadian, I guess. That's it's just... It's money with holes in it. I can make that work. Oh. What? What? I don't know what I'm saying anymore, man. I don't know. <laughs> words, words just uh, fall out of my mouth, and and sometimes they create sentences. Well, um, I'm, I'm I'm happy for you. So why don't we let that uh, word vomit that you're producing so voluminously, which I don't think is that a word. Voluminously? Um, I'm writing that vol- one down. Vol- voluminous? Vol- Volume. David, tell us about why you don't like The Walking Dead and so, you wish Robert Kirkman was never born. Whoa, that was only heavily implied. I never said those actual words. Uh, no, see, the story that we started off with was the fact that Walking Dead Season 7 has premiered with a two-year high in ratings. This seventh season opener of AMC's The Walking Dead drew 17 million same-day viewers which is the highest it's been uh, in two years, because last year there was a drop-off of 2.4 million. Uh, or it's 2.4 million uh, ahead of, of last year's uh, start, I, which was the same thing that I was saying. Anyway, I, I now I don't want us to continue to refer to an episode that never will be, uh, because we're almost to the point now where those where those two timelines converge. Uh, Flashpoint. Flashpoint, exactly. Uh, in which we will save our our mother, our, our collective mother, the show's mother, from being murdered by uh, Eobard Thawne. Uh, now, what I had done previously to, to young Nicholas is rattle his brain with a long rambling diatribe about why I believe people should stop watching The Walking Dead. And my points, just to summarize, see, really, really, you're getting the best of everything here because now I can kind of summarize things very nicely. Uh, I believe that the show, uh, Scott Gimbel especially, uh, you know, I just, just to pin it on somebody because I'm feeling vengeful, uh, they, they are very manipulative over there. They don't really give a, a lot of care to the, to the viewer's emotions. They like to believe that that you need to be told how to feel about something uh all of uh, several times in last season there was a whole bunch of 
Uh, is is Glenn dead? Is Glenn still alive? We're not really fully sure, and I'm going to, to spoil some stuff right here. So if you're still somehow behind in The Walking Dead but listening to this episode, uh, skip ahead like five minutes. It's kind of the best I can do you. Uh, but they the, 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 the victim of, of last season's cliffhanger was that uh, was was Abraham. Abraham got his head bashed in by Lucille, who was being wielded by Negan, who's being played by a breakfast sausage. Uh, and this was done in a way to make you feel like, hey, Glenn is safe. We know we've all thought it's going to be Glenn. Just kidding, you idiots. It's going to be Glenn. Uh, that's one way that they, they massively manipulated us on top of telling us for eight months, no, it's totally going to be worth it to find out. And then, oh, also when the episode starts, we're not going to tell you that it's Abraham who got killed for 20 whole minutes. It's respect, respect yourself, people. Respect your emotional energy. You don't need to have somebody just leeching off of you and, 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 and just draining you and manipulating you into emotions that you're not really feeling. And, and people, people, got to the end of this episode and so many reports I heard people were just feeling down people were just feeling sad it was just it just so bleak and we don't need bleakness in our lives we uh, you know I, I'm I'm fine with dark television and dark stories I loved Breaking Bad as everybody did in this world uh, but it comes a point where it stops being entertainment and it starts being torture and I think we're starting to hit that with The Walking Dead. Now, I stopped watching half a season ago. I did not watch this latest episode. I, you know, caught some interviews and some clips and, and some Wikipedia summaries because that's how I choose to live my life. I'm also one of those people that believes that if I'm going to speak out against something, I should know what I'm speaking out against. And this show's just going to get worse. It's going to continue manipulating you. It's going to keep bashing heads in and telling you this is drama when really it's not that's that's a much better version of actually than what I said previously. So there you have it, Nick. Your counterpoints that are incorrect. Okay, so first, as someone that's not caught up, but ultimately maybe hasn't been as invested in hating on this show as you have been. It's, it's my new mission. <laughs> um, when when the ending of last season and this most current episode was explained to me. I personally don't have a visceral reaction towards it. I think from a commercial standpoint, ending the previous season, um, showing that someone, an important character has died, not telling you, or implying that an important character has died and not telling you um, and making you have to wait several months to find out. I mean, no matter what, these shows aren't just being done for the sake of creativity. So from a commercial standpoint, I applaud them because that's probably one of the biggest reasons they had such a huge season open up Absolutely. as far as, as people that have tuned in. So bravo. Um, from a narrative standpoint, you know, I, I guess at this point I would have to watch it to know, just, just see how my sort of visceral reaction responds to it. Um, because it's, it's easy for me from based on how I hear it came off, I can see both sides but at the same time, I personally have a problem with them ending or beginning things the way they did, except that maybe instead of dragging out even that a less important character died 20 minutes into the first episode, 
that they just open the beginning of the season showing you who's died and then spend the rest of the episode dealing with the fallout. Um, so that's kind of where my point lands. Also, as much as I know you hate The Walking Dead, uh, this is where I admit that you have not, in fact, watched this episode I, I and gave up that. halfway through the previous season. I already season. admitted these things on did air, did I miss on them? the record. Yes. Yes, oh, I did. I probably missed that part. Yep. Now, yeah. Well, I'm, either way, either way, would you feel if someone came to you and started complaining about something and then they admit, yeah, but I didn't read it or I didn't watch it, would you be like, well, how can you have this opinion if you didn't, in fact, experience it yourself? I would say Walking Dead is slightly different because I did invest six and a half years in it. This is not like a movie that's two and a half hours long where people are like, well, no, I didn't see it, but I, I just read about it. I think this is because it's something that I have spent emotional in energy and my time in that it's, you know, it's a little bit more okay for me to do this. I understand that, yes, I haven't actually seen it. What authority then can I speak with? But I don't think it's I, – I, I do think the fact that I, I was very invested in the show, uh, you know. I, I, so I, six and a half seasons, I, I'll, give it, I'll give you that. You know, that's, that's at least enough to say, okay, I'm done with this show. But I, and some people might – if someone listened to the show, they'd probably say, why are you wasting your breath complaining about it? If you've already given up on it, move on. We are a talk show, a talk show, a podcast, or something where we talk about what, these what things. Is this kooky, Dead is actually... What is this kooky thing we're doing here? <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> um, you know, so that's why um, I will then pull back and say that it's okay that David went on this rant. Uh, he, we both indicated that he has not actually watched it. Eventually, I will catch up, um, and we will see. Maybe I will share my opinion then, my true opinion. So, then, and, But and, until then... And, 12 years, when you've caught up on the show, we can talk about it. After my kids have gone off to college... Uh, so, I... Do, I sorry, but... So do, do you have anything else you're going to finish, finish up? I was oh, going to no, add no, one no, more I, thought. So, uh, also, brief spoiler of the comics, Glenn also dies there in the same sort of situation, but I loved the way that they handled it in the comic, where, yeah, you have Negan come out, and he does this, he does this big, long thing, then he beats Glenn to death in front of everybody, and then they leave, and they leave the survivors and the audience to have to deal with that and to have to process that, and they don't give you that in the show. And I think that if they had, if the, the season had ended with someone getting beat to death, even if we don't see who it is, but you know Negan and his people kind of leave and we just kind of have to deal with the, with this sudden feeling of loss I think that could have been more impactful if they'd shown us who it was and then left us and just had us dealing with that feeling of loss it would have been much more impactful but that, that you know I could go on for another five minutes I don't want to Nick what else happened in, in the news this week well depending on where you stand this could be considered a loss um, um, I, I'll count it as such but I'll, I'll explain in a moment. Uh, Tim Miller, the director of the first Deadpool, Deadpool, Deadpool. <laughs> ah, Deadpool. Deadpool would appreciate this. Tim Miller, the director of the first Deadpool film, has left the uh, sequel over creative differences with Ryan Reynolds and apparently as well as the writers Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick. Um, Basically, it looks like by the time the sequel was officially announced this past April at CinemaCon, Tim, Tim Miller was already starting to have creative disagreements with Ryan Reynolds and the writers. Um, 
basically it sounds like there was two different movies on the table and one of them just wasn't Deadpool. I'm going by that sentence that the Tim Miller version was just not a Deadpool movie. Uh, and he has part of ways. Supposedly it's uh, an amicable, uh, <laughs> amicable, amicable split uh, with the studio. Who's to say if uh, uh, any remote whatever friendship they may or may not have had uh, will be uh, intact? Probably not. Who cares? Well, I don't. I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Hopefully they. Uh, I, I'm just word vomiting now. Um, how I feel about this? Uh, I guess it's hard for me to know for sure how much of the first movie, despite it being directed by Tim Miller, Tim Miller was Tim Miller, and that is not to sell him short. Um, I wouldn't say. In a movie like this where it seemed like everyone on the boat was trying to keep it afloat, um, like I'm sure that Tim Miller had some hand. Uh, has some hand. He's the director. I don't even know what the hell I'm saying. I'm like not an authority to speak about this. What I'm ultimately I'm trying to say is that it's sad to see one member of the creative team that took a movie like Deadpool that everyone thought wouldn't succeed and ultimately did succeed leaving the the production mm-hmm. but at the same time i feel like there the deadpool is a character while you think might be hard to achieve there are plenty of directors that could bring this movie to fruition and still have it be an excellent deadpool sequel uh, absolutely um, we- so sad that tim miller is left sad that there has to be any kind of disagreement or creative kerfuffle but I mean, I don't think this spells doom for the production whatsoever. No, and I and I agree. And we don't have an official reason for the split. There's a lot of speculation. Uh, part of it being that Ryan Reynolds and the writers wanted to keep things crude and low budget, and you know, and have the fun that can be had in that. And Tim Miller wanted to inflate the budget by as much as three times. Though people have come out and said that that just that wasn't the truth. Um, so you know we're not we're we're not sure there's there's you know could be lots of room for speculation which isn't really worth it and not not really what I feel like this podcast is about we try to stay away from rumors so the truth of the story is yeah that Tim Miller has left uh, being a director is a hard job especially on something small like this that you have to make uh, to compare to these big budget you know superhero flicks like. Uh, like Civil War and other stuff that came out in this last year, uh, it, it yeah, it's it, it's sad to see him go. I hope you know. I hopefully they will, and you know, I, I have faith in Ryan Reynolds and the writers that they they put so much into making the last movie what it was that they will find somebody. And not to say like Tim Miller definitely had a hand in that as well, but that they will hopefully get someone uh, who can also work with them in the same way that Tim Miller did and we can get uh you know Deadpool 2 back on its feet with and with Cable and I I'm just putting it out there right now but Edgar Wright if you want to take a stab at this I I I would be all about that apparently there's a petition to get uh Quentin Tarantino Quentin Tarantino yeah to direct the movie it won't happen but it's pretty funny that is funny, but I, I don't think I would like that movie. I don't think I would either. Nothing against Quentin Tarantino. He's just an, an acquired taste. Um, so, yeah, interesting news on that front. Let's, um, let's keep things depressing, man. I'm here to just keep making everybody sad. Yeah, yeah. This is this next one's actually uh, quite heartbreaking, mm-hmm. uh, as any story of this caliber, not caliber, that's the wrong way to put it, a story of this kind, uh, right. it typically is, David. So, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna use the word uh, no I'll, I'll say famed veteran veteran and famed artist Steve Dillon has passed away this week this last week while in New York City uh, I in this article doesn't state it uh, but do we have an official cause of death um I don't know if there's an official cause of death I, I've read some articles saying that he's been sick for a while which mm-hmm. is incredible I think much like um Oh my god, I feel like uh, an asshole. Why am I forgetting his name? Darwin Cook, oh my god. I'm so glad that I didn't finish my search before I came up with that. With Darwin Cook, who had passed away in the past mm-hmm. year. Um, you know, these are guys that seemed like they were putting out work up until the very end. I mean, Steve Dillon was an active, actively drawing the latest Punisher series. Uh-huh. One of many Punisher series that he's drawn. Um as as soon as like the last issue. and now I know like there's like a month or two in advance that these issues are done, but that means a month too late to his death, he was actively working. So well, he so apparently it was for it was from a ruptured uh, appendix. Which, oh man, geez. that tiny useless thing can can come back and and get you guys. It's this is very sad news. You have a lot of people, uh, and for those who are wondering what they would know him from. Uh, I would say famously for the the, the preacher series, um, he also did some issues of uh, of Animal Man. Uh, you know, like you said, many Punisher series he worked on. The Wolverine Origins story uh, was was drawn by him. The original one. Uh, you had people who were Wolverine Origins. The original story series was not drawn by him. The there was Wolverine Origin. Which was about his true origin, like as a child. Oh, you're and right. There I was apologize. the Wolverine origin series with Daniel Way right. that revealed other stuff, including Doc and his son. Right. I apologize. You are correct. I didn't see the S on the end there. Anyway, uh, you had many people coming out and, and expressing their grief about this. This is very, very sad news. Steve Dillon, uh, you will be missed. And, you know, thank you for all your work. Yeah, Steve. I mean, Steve Dillon's his aesthetic was one that like I I was ne- I never gravitated towards per se as far as an art style, but I, it I mean you cannot say that this was just a consummate solid professional. Uh-huh. No fuss, no muss. I don't think there was ever really any drama that I've ever come across involving Steve Dillon. It's just a guy that produced work, produced it efficiently. Um, had I mean had a style. Some artists just don't have a style and his was distinct and while maybe you didn't like it it just i mean you couldn't say that it wasn't just a powerfully confident look right Uh, and certainly for books like preacher and a lot of his punisher work like he just he owned it you know for those books it worked like maybe it didn't work on the wolverine book or whatever your opinion is but like for someone to have spent his life developing such an incredible style you know a distinct style I mean, the the industry has truly lost a magnificent artist, and it's mm-hmm. you know. yeah. Even if even if you know his his style was not your favorite, uh, it if you saw his name on a book, you knew you were getting somebody who knew what they were doing, who was a hard worker, and was going to give you going to give you their their all, their best. And, mm-hmm. You know, we we lost we lost a good one. Yeah. Moment of silence for Steve Dillon. Mm-hmm. 
in our final bit of news, uh, Marvel has been on a marketing train um, for their upcoming Resurrection event. We still don't know if Resurrection will, in fact, be its own event book or just sort of overall banner uh, for its line of X-Men titles uh, coming out of the Inhumans versus X-Men event. Um, but they've announced a whole bunch of books. I know on the last show we had announced, uh, we had mentioned Jean Grey and Iceman, and I think Weapon X as well. Mm-hmm. They've also since then announced the uh, Cable book. And Generation uh, X. And Generation X, um, which is a particular favorite of mine from the 90s. Um, but they've also announced X-Men Blue and Gold. In many ways, maybe minus like the Jean Grey Iceman books, they're really hitting like a 90s tone with these, with these X-Men towels. I mean, Blue and Gold, I mean, partly because their original costumes were blue and yellow or gold, whatever. Um, and I think going into the nineties, there was a period where the X-Men had split up into two books and two teams referred to the blue and gold teams. So whether or not, because these books are called blue and gold and it's about, and presumably in hinting at two distinct X-Men groups, if that means that the X-Men are still going to be going to have this sort of schism that they've had through various ranks over the last several years, um, or if it's just going to be that they're a unified organization, so to speak, working on two independent projects remain to be seen. I mean, all we have to go on right now are the titles of this upcoming wave of X-Men books, and we haven't actually heard of any of the Inhuman books coming out of this. Um, so, But either way, though we can't speak on the creative team, um, it seems like what Marvel wants to do with this next wave potentially as a sign of confidence. I mean, everyone's had this whole conspiracy that like Marvel has tried to move away from the X-Men and they've tried to sort of marginalize them in favor of the Inhumans. And while I can say there's certainly an argument for that, I mean, certain things come in waves and maybe this is truly where Marvel is putting their best foot forward. And at least for this first wave of resurrection titles, you know, we might be heading towards a, an X-Men period of, gold i don't know or, or blue even <laughs> um but obviously we blue. at the end of the day no matter how you market it we're not really going to know for sure the quality until we know the creative teams and the overall story direction so that they're, but, they're either going to get uh they're either going to get gold you know for gold uh medal for first place or a blue participation ribbon for showing up and uh, yeah, I'm, be seen. I'm sure, Nick, that you will possibly discuss at least at least one of these books when they start hitting shelves. Uh, maybe I'll check them out. I don't know. Yeah, if, yeah. If, I mean, for me, going off names alone, I mean, I'm sorry to say, like, I'm not gonna probably run out and buy a Jean Grey or Iceman book, even though they're characters that I respect. Um, I just, I mean, it really that that's those those two books are books where I'd have to wait for the creative teams and what the overall story direction is. Cause unfortunately sometimes like when, it, when I'm thinking about the three or four or $5 now that I spend per comic book, Ugh. like I really have to go like, is this a writer that I really, really, really like or a, or an artist that I really, really, really like. Um, I really have to think of the whole package. So, and sometimes I feel like these, these sort of solo character books here that aren't necessarily as important to the overarching plot might, you know, just, I'm not saying that the people involved aren't putting their best before, but it might not be to my taste. Mm-hmm. Cable, I could potentially be interested in, depending on the, the creative team. Um, most likely, uh, X-Men Blue and Gold and Generation X are the three books out of the seven, I think, announced that I'll definitely be keeping my eyes on. Um, cool. 
So, but yeah, we will see in January, it, or February, one of those. It's uh, it's just like uh, you know, when Pokemon was coming out, you have to decide blue or gold, which which version of the game you're getting. Yeah, or uh, no, it was blue or red. I know. I was making a ugh. terrible joke. Not even gonna, not joke. even going to make a transition. To the Batmobile. Let's go. So now let's let's move on over now to the the segment we call the poll list, in which we talk about the various books we've read this week. And uh, as as usual, we will start with Nick. Nick, why don't you go ahead and tell us about the Vision number twelve? All right, this has this was um this was a great series. This. As as just talking about how like you really have to, you know, when I'm if I'm gonna pull a trigger on a book, like it has to be something where like I really, really like just like have to read this writer, really really want to see this art. Uh, Walt Gabriel Hernandez Walta, the artist, uh, isn't necessarily like a big bombastic sort of typical comic book artist, but as far as like if you get into this book, his his style was so well suited for the sort of shakespearean tragedy that this book ultimately became um to digress a bit the vision number 12 was written by tom king drawn by gabriel hernandez walta uh colored by Jordi belair uh and lettered by clayton cowles um the vision number 12 is also the last issue in the vision series of, of this volume of the vision um and I, I believe this has actually been his first quote-unquote ongoing series but also it was the intended end by Tom King all along of this 12 issue, you know, arc that he's written involving the vision, um, who's always wanted to be as human as possible. Um, who decides to create his own family of synthesoids, uh, moves into the suburbs and the outskirts of Washington, DC and tries to just kind of do what, you know, do as the Romans do, or in this case, do as the humans do. And it all fails spectacularly. What's, you know, first off, I don't want to go into too many plot points, but at the end of the day, what was great about this series was that it was written and produced with such intent. Now, I, as everyone that knows on the show already from our talks about Batman, um, for the latest Batman book, I should say, uh, we're, we're just on Tom King fever right now. And there's something about his style and the purpose that he puts into his work that he's really thinking about every angle. Um, and you, this is the book where like everything that was set up in the first issue is, is resolved or, or touched upon some way by the final issue. It's tragic. It's, um, I mean, probably very few heartwarming mem- uh, moments, more like bittersweet moments. This is about a man, uh, really a man, if we want to call the vision that, that so desperately just wants to fit in and be human uh, and try to uh, take steps to achieve that. Um, and then because humanity is complex and it's messy, it just everything, and obviously the nature of being a super being and having a family of super beings, you know, and, and all that, like, what this book really does well is it pulls in the vision. It doesn't shy away from the vision's history, you know, both his relationships with like the Scarlet witch and all these things. And it finds a way to touch on some ridiculous moments in like the seventies and eighties with the vision. Um, but just make you feel for those moments and you just find them so compelling. Um, so ultimately this book was pitting the vision 
against the rest of the Avengers over the fact that he created this. Well, not so much that he created the family, but because of actions taken by some members of his family. And ultimately, one family member makes the ultimate sacrifice in order to protect the vision. Um, so in a way, it's it's by the end of the issue, it sweeps some things under the rugs, but in a way that like it's not hiding from them. It's not just saying, oh, that didn't happen. Everything happened, and it found a creative way to sort of, in this case, because there was a lot of heat on the vision for certain actions taken during this series that take the heat off of him. Um, but at the same time, like it's just waiting for some of these moments to um, sort of be unearthed and sort of cause friction for the vision in the future. Um, and it doesn't shove everything under the rug. It still leaves vision in a place where he still has a home in the outskirts of Washington, D.C. There's at least one family member left, which eagle-eyed um, listeners or that doesn't make sense. Eagle-eyed listeners. <laughs> eagle-eyed eagle, listeners. There's eagle your title for the episode. Eagle-eared listeners. You eagle-eared listeners, uh, if you know about the Champions book that Marvel is producing as well, you'll find that family member there. Um, I'm just kind of speaking a lot of vague notions, but it, it truly was a great book. Um, I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and call this my recommendation for the for the week. Uh, if you want a book with pathos and 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 drama and and tragedy, but just but also interesting character. I mean, if you want to read a book about androids or synthesoids, you know that are that aren't just you know they're not human, but they're trying to be human. It's not, my brain's all over the place, but it's it the vision by Tom King and Gabriel Hearn and his Walter and team was just it was a very 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 good book and i highly recommend it so yeah the uh the vision number 12 i really didn't get into any plot details which is usually my mo um but david i, I don't know, i'll give you my codes for each issue if you'd like but i i definitely yeah. recommend you check it out i mean it's it's a book that asks you know are we human or are we dancer which that's ever since the killer's uh, presented that question to me i've not been able to answer it so hopefully this book can walk me through that that revelation now it's it's a series that I'm, i've desperately been wanting to read or i think they're starting to appear on marvel unlimited or they have been for the past few months so i will definitely uh definitely get in on that fairly soon uh so are you are you recommending the the just the last issue or the entire Series. Just the, the the run as a whole, the the whole all twelve issues deserve to be read. Okay, it's know. like it's like I could go into it, but it's like some books are just like, oh yeah, this happened and this happened and that character did that, and like that's all well and good, but like this is the kind of book similar in a Westworld kind of way where like interesting stuff is happening, but there's a feeling after every installment or episode or issue or whatever where you're just like you're left with a certain existential feeling of unease. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and that might be uncomfortable for some people, but this book just, it, it shines in spades. So it's, it's great. It's great. Very cool. Well, I'm now going to talk a bit about a book, uh, that we, I, I touched on briefly a few weeks ago. Well, not briefly. I touched on the Rebirth issue of this book a few weeks ago, and now we've got the official number one, and that is Teen Titans. Uh, this is part one of the Damien Knows Best storyline uh, with uh, story and visuals by Benjamin Percy and John Boy Myers, uh, colors by Jim 
Oh, that's the last. I'm pretty sure I did this last time as well. It's uh, Jim uh, Cherilampidus. Yep, going with that. Uh, letters by Corey Breen and so on and so forth. Uh, so the synopsis of this issue is that just after turning 13, Damian Wayne is finding himself to be a little bit lonely. So he kidnaps former and future Teen Titans to make them into a superhero team again, which they are not exactly gung-ho for. And beyond looking just for some hangout buddies, the Teen Titans also appear to be threatened by the League of Assassins, who have uh, their own five-man band of, of teen superheroes who are, are out to hunt the Teen Titans. So with that kind of that 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 setting presented to us uh, my number one concern with this book really is the writing of damien damien is a character that i hold very near and dear in my heart as i've mentioned again and again uh and he's never really been one of those my dad doesn't have enough time for me kids you know, he, he understands his father's mission. Uh, it's really the entire reason he's there is to join the mission and be part of it uh, and to become the ultimate Batman eventually. Uh, but that's, you know, this this book presents us with my dad doesn't have enough time for me. But that's, that's very literally, I mean, not very literally, but it's almost word for word a line Damien says early on in this book. And that really bothers me. Because that's not who Damian Wayne is. I do like the angle of him struggling to, you know, have friends. But there's also so many books where he's out making friends or collecting companions or compatriots and, and getting people to go on adventures with him. Uh, I have not read the, the latest issue of Deathstroke, but apparently he's in it. And the little bit I read was wonderful. Uh, just, just really brilliant. Uh, it was it was the way that I want Damien to be a dick and be snarky to supervillains, and this book has him being a dick and being snarky to superheroes, uh, which kind of feels a little bit past who Damien Wayne is at this point. Yeah, but, I feel like that's ten year old Damien, but now if right. he's thirteen. What has he? And, and given some of the crazy stuff like dying, coming back to life, having superpowers, losing superpowers, um, and just the only emotional and, and uh, journey that he's been on, you know, kidnapping other superheroes to force them into some kind of plan, whatever they's trying to do. Again, I, I've only read the preview feels a little sociopathic and while Damien's a lot of things and maybe very kind of riding close to that border, I would not describe him as, as so sociopathic. So he, the reason he kidnaps them uh, is because he wants to show them how strong, like how he can take them down individually, but when they work together, they can overcome him and his his traps and etc. And that kind of leads into that I don't really know the other Titans that well. Uh, they're starting off on a pretty clean slate for them, though. In the Rebirth issue, they did manage to kind of give you a feeling for these characters just a little bit. Uh, but I also feel like I don't need to have a very strong history with them to uh, really be diving into this book, uh, which I guess is is good. Um, it, so in that way, uh, the book may work if they 
really diminish the whole my dad doesn't love me thing if that's not a main part of the story. It seemed like this was actually going to deal a lot with the loss of Tim Drake for several characters, uh, which would be very interesting to get his friend's perspective on that outside of, you know, sort of the Bat family. Mm -hmm. Um, John Boy Myers, which the name John Boy is a little strange to me. I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, The artist uh, is actually leaving after this issue. I'm not really sure how I feel about that fact. He has a very manga-esque style that speaks to kind of the young adult nature of this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's actually kind of what's hurting it for me. It I read this and I kind of feel like uh, the art style, this is something that I should pass to someone, uh, you know, a little bit younger than me. It's not necessarily for me. It, it kind of has that same aesthetic that uh, Gotham Academy had, which I thought worked really well in Gotham Academy. Uh, and I kind of want to be going back and giving that another go. Um but, you know, it it just kind of has that look where it, it, you know, it's 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 happening with the teens, as as the kids say it. I don't know. I'm not I'm not up on slang, whatever that means. I mean, what? So for and I don't say the book has to be exactly like this, but a quote that I've always loved from Kieran Gillen, who wrote the one of the I think the last Young Avengers series for Marvel, which you know was kind of tumblery in a way, like you know played up some of its sort of. Like it was a very current book, especially with what interests teenagers. And he said that, you know, someone complained in like the first issue that Kate Bishop was having uh, like a one night stand with Marvel Boy and was like, like, why do you need to see this? Why does she have to be like this? Da, da, da. And his response was basically teenagers aren't rated teen. Like right. the rated teen might have certain guidelines on what teenagers can see, but actual real teen life and blood teenagers are up to all kinds of weird and awkward and and just shenanigans yeah all all whippersnappers and their shenanigans but with a book like teen titans it feels like a book written by middle-aged people which most of these comics will be written by middle-aged people or young middle-aged people i don't know but but like catering to what it thinks teenagers want instead of being instead of being a book that should appeal to teenagers but being written for everyone you know what i mean like a book that doesn't that it it shouldn't be written with the intent that like this book needs to be rated teen. It's a book that should truly show teenagers and all of its complexity. And the idea of teenagers, imagine yourself as a teenager, but you're putting on a costume and you have superpowers and you're hanging out in a giant freaking tea and you're taking down bad guys. Like what would that actually be like for teenagers and not just like plot teenagers, planagers? I don't know. Um, but I, I felt like every time I've tried to jump back on the Teen Titans, you know, wagon over the last several years, it just it it it, it just feels like it never it doesn't feel like a book about teenagers. Like they're young, they make mistakes, blah, blah, blah. but but it doesn't it just doesn't feel like a book that if I was a teenager I'd go, Oh, Teen Titans, yeah. Also the fact that they're called Teen Titans. Mm-hmm. I mean even a book I guess called Young Avengers, mm-hmm. but like just being called teen times feels a bit pedantic and like it's it's pandering to me as a teenager like i don't like when you're a kid you don't want to read about the stuff or see the stuff that's that's catered to being a 10 year old or 13 year old you want to see the stuff that's a little bit older than you i'm not saying we should promote that or enable that necessarily if it's something that maybe isn't right for that age group but assuming that these characters in the book are ranging somewhere from like on average 16 to 18 
real 15 to or 16 to 18 year olds are already up to some pretty weird shit and the book should somehow reflect that without necessarily breaking its own rating um and depicting teenagers in weird settings but i digress the the book so so the book that i'm I'm talking in this new book the book that i'm talking about this week and thank you nick for your teen titans rant oddly similar to my walking dead rant from earlier uh what gives you the authority to speak on this book nick um (laughs) i read four page preview (laughs) yeah yeah uh anyway uh you know, maybe I maybe bringing in a different artist will kind of help me connect on this book a little bit. Uh, I, and I struggled with the word. I, I wrote sophisticated in the notes, but I, you know, he has a very polished style. Uh, John Boy Myers. It's very clean. Uh, it's you know maybe just having something that's not so manga esque will will just maybe jive a little bit with me. Uh, so overall, I'm not entirely sure this book is for me, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I didn't feel like Gotham Academy was a book for me. Um, it does seem to be getting really good reviews elsewhere. A lot of them are saying the whole fact that it's, it's a, it's a slow start. And I agree with that. You know, we kind of deal with this kidnapping thing for two issues, uh, and not really a lot happens aside from a lot of talking in this issue, but People seem to be liking what they're getting so far. Uh, you know, I thought the designs for the villains, the the League of Assassins, Teen Titans, were very early two thousands and not in a good way, uh, where everybody has their exact counterpoint. Uh, but you know, apparently there's a chance to redeem the Teen Titans here. They've fallen on hard times in recent years, and hopefully they can pull themselves up by the bootstraps. Yeah. Um, uh, one book that doesn't need to pull itself up by the bootstraps is Saga by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. Um, and we're coming into our 39th issue Man, thus far. 30, 39 issues. 39 issues. Um, potentially could be a lot longer, but they take usually two, three months off in between arcs, which if it helps produce the kind of quality of work that they produce, I'm okay with it, even though I'm sad for a few months out of the year. Um, David, what are your thoughts? So look, this, this book is amazing. That's not, you know, we, we could just sit here talking about how great Fiona Stables art is, uh, how how good Brian K. Vaughn is at weaving this world. I thought there were some very interesting moments. Uh, we see, I am totally blanking on the daughter's name right now. It's just Sophie, right? It's not Sophia, Sophie? Hey. Hazel? Hazel, why am I wanting to call? No, okay, because Sophie was the, is the... Sophie is the Will, the girl that the Will rescued. Yeah, it's the girl Sophia, the Will rescued. Sophia, yeah, so that's what's throwing me off. Uh, I don't know why I can't remember Hazel. We we do see Hazel's first kiss, which is a very cute moment, uh, even though it's amidst a really terrible and awful time. Uh, and we see, you know, the the will, some interesting stuff about the will and the freelancers, which I love how we're finding out stuff about the freelancers, just kind of slowly uh, over time little bits of information like uh when when he's no longer a freelancer his weapon doesn't work he's not legally allowed to kill people um and he's also fat and has a beard and that's super weird 
but I think kind of the main thrust of this book um, is that, and this this kind of felt different from Brian K. Vaughn's other big revelations. And per usual, we spoil stuff here, people. So here we go. Uh, the big implication of this book is that the the uh, landfall and is it Cleve or is Cleve the, the planet where it all started? Uh, anyway, the, the moon and the planet that are warring against one another are really probably in cahoots. Not like the common folks, those who are fighting on the ground, but the higher-ups. Wreath is the moon, landfall is the planet. Wreath is the, okay, yeah, landfall is the planet. Reith. Cleve is the planet where it all started, uh, the storyline, not... Yeah, anyway, so Wreath and landfall are working... It, the high governments are working together in some capacity. And, uh, and I do want to kind of dive into the implications of that, but Nick, what were your overall thoughts on the book before we get into that? Um, it's a tough book to talk about sometimes being that it's, you know, it's, it's always just going to do its own thing, which I don't even know what the heck that sentence means. Um, but it's interesting just, this is a book that in the last couple of issues keeps hinting that we're on the cusp of some pretty significant change in the book. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, we la lost Isabel uh, last issue. Um, but also, it's nice now. What I am enjoying is seeing Hazel really come in as a character. Like We've always seen her narration because she narrates the whole series. Um, but now that like that she's this, you know, still admittedly like what, like five years old or something like that. Um you know, but like she has she, like this little crush on one of those asteroid fair. rodent things. Um, I don't even remember what his name is. Um, but I mean, like the the book is just it has it's juggling so many characters. Um, but you know, the focus always comes back to Hazel, and I I don't know. I just I I'm I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, and, th this this is this is an issue that's particularly full of some really great moments uh, from a lot of the characters. Uh, you know, like the the children of the the comet uh, from Hazel, from Alana. Um, just just a, a lot of people they don't have big bombastic moments, but just little lines of dialogue here and there that that make things really fun and interesting. I agree. Um, I'm just trying to get to like there's the stuff with it's just con seeing the continued downward spiral of the will, uh, and mm. it just reminds me of some stuff like how this book mixes certain concepts together and makes it feel so natural for this just ridiculous universe that they've created. Like the idea that the will are these like assassins, but they're really more like superheroes, but they have agents like actors, uh, and how yeah. they play into that, or the fact that most of this arc is taking place on a comet or an asteroid or whatever it's a comet um, that's yeah. just a comet that's just hurtling through space but it's got civilizations living on it and and and, and uh, resources being fought for it's 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 just so hard it's like no just just go and read saga and then like maybe you'll understand but it's just hard it's a book that's hard to describe um it, especially as more and more goes it goes on you, you you're getting a real sense for how massive and involved this universe is yeah, yeah. 
this is a book that probably could have, you know, if it ended, say, after like a year's worth of issues, 12 issues or whatever, we've been like, wow, that was a really, really good book. And but you always would have felt like there was more going on underneath the surface that we didn't get to. So it's great that we're able to see to watch as these characters grow and go through these this heartache and this tragedy and this growth and this maturity. This, um, this is a series I would not be surprised if we got a spinoff series at some point. I don't know if Brian K. Vaughn would allow that. Like, who would write it? Like, I don't right. think I'd want to read it if it wasn't by Brian K. Vaughn. But I'm saying, you know I mean, he I mean? could, yeah, he could, but, I, you know, he's got a lot of writer friends. he got people he could entrust these things with. He could. Uh, I feel like there's sort of like a sacred, like, this is, you know, Brian's baby, Brian and Fiona's baby. Like, we're not, like, I wouldn't even know where to begin to touch it. Like, obviously, you could say something like, oh, well, what, Hellboy? But obviously... In that case, Magnolia eventually did bring people on. So I guess I shouldn't say that it's impossible, but it's like right now with this series, it, it feels like it's a very personal book, whereas like Absolutely. Hellboy kind of expanded to be about like a team of people, and then you could branch off in different franchises. Like, is I don't know if I like is, if you did a spinoff, would I be reading about like Prince Robots adventures or? Or whatever, like I, I just think it should all be ma- maintaining this one book. They could just release more issues a year, I suppose. Um, but look, why don't we get down to the nitty gritty a little bit? The whole point of this series, the, the major conflict in this series so far, as you mentioned, was the war between the moon and the planet, uh, and that like it's in this this war has been so massive that it's engulfed other cultures and planets into it and have people choose sides. It's the most civil war of all civil wars. Well, and let's, and let's um, not forget that the, the planet and the moon themselves, people don't, people don't fight there. This is these battles are all held entirely on other planets. That's, that's a good point to, to me too. They're, they're now removed from the, their own violence that they cause and afflicting it on other cultures and planets. Uh, which I think is a big point about this particular arc where they're traveling on this this comet and the people that live there. Um, but what's revealed at the end of the issue, spoilers, uh, is that a, a robot ambassador uh, reveals that um, they are going to basically kill everyone that's on the comet. Um, and the freelancer um, that is f- 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 learning all of this ask who is they you know is it the wings or the horns and the robot guy says or or ha 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 and dies which heavily implies that the wings and the horns are actually in cahoots Mm. so it's it's interesting it's interesting um i I feel like this, this didn't have the same impact as some of his other Reveals, and I, and I think it was not supposed to have sort of that that same impact. Just kind of leave us a little bit thinking, because it's not, you know, it's not a terribly original idea um, that you know this that war has some giant secret other purpose. But in this universe, that could mean so many things. Why are they doing a war that's spread across galaxies? Are they what are they what are they hiding? Why? Yeah, there's oh, there's so many so many questions that just come from this this implication. You know, and obviously we'd like to think and be confident that Brian K. Vaughn has thought this all out. It's it's so think of it this way: like as far as we can tell, not to say there might not be some very variations in in cultural aspects on like the on the planet and on the moon, but mostly it just seems of like a 
a black and white or white and black versus situation that it's just it's the whole planet versus the whole moon mm-hmm. whereas and i know from from the very earliest days of this of this series it was all that Brian Kevon himself compared it to like the war in iraq but obviously like say with the war in iraq you have the whole it's really about the war in the middle east the middle east isn't just well maybe the majority of them are muslim there's obviously some sub- subsection cultures there's also even between different nations in the middle east you have different cultural aspects and different governmental identities so I, basically whenever I read this book and I see some elements like this come into play, we also know that it's also not a black and white situation over there, especially the United States involvement in it. So if we're saying that they say the United States is the planet and uh, I don't know, maybe Iraq is the moon. Um, but in this case that they're working together, could it be a situation like, well, obviously there are times where the United States stands by like, the government in one of these countries or maybe they're supporting the rebels in a certain country or, or what that all means um what the real question is what does you know with this whole war and everyone think that the horns and that there's that there's now a, a cultural animosity built up in both societies that horns need to hate wings and vice versa mm-hmm. where does the, the two governing powers presumably it's the governing powers of course that are sort of manhandling all this stuff what do they benefit by having some kind of alliance with each Behind other scenes, while letting yeah. this war just spiral out of control? Yeah, and, and and one interesting aspect of this, too, is we've never been presented that one side is better than the other. You know, we it's never really explained why the war started or even, you know, kind of rumors or why the war started. Just the war has always just kind of been... Uh, and, and, you know, you don't get, you don't get the feeling that, well, it's those evil land Follians are trying to exploit, you know, wreath and blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, there's no right or wrong side and, and we're never presented that. I mean, of course we're presented soldiers of both sides, but we're never told that us as a reader should be siding with one or the other. They're both the enemy of our heroes and it seems like the enemy is bigger than we previously thought. Yeah. So I really just have to go back and read to start saga over from the beginning. It's definitely the kind of book that, that is asking me to go back and just pick up on all the little things that I've definitely missed. Mm-hmm. I've reread through it a couple of times at this point. It's a wonderful series. It's a wonderful thing. Well, no passing phrase. Do you have any other thoughts that you want to share on on Saga before we start to wrap things up? You know what? I mean, I can't speak for Teen Titans truly, but a lot of lot of books came out this week. A lot of great comics came out this week, and let's just appreciate that every week, almost without fail, at least at my local comic shop, I get to partake in a hobby that's just wonderfully creative, always sparking my imagination and keeping me invested from having to think about my own existential crisis. It's, it's good times. So I appreciate everyone listening. And David? Speaking of existential crises, uh, my recommendation for this week is a series called Black Mirror, which you can find on Netflix. They just released a new season. Uh, so that's six new episodes. Um, each are an hour long, and each one is a standalone story that is telling uh, usually something something sci-fi, sometimes not. Uh, but they're just they're they're kind of stories about uh, our relationship with technology 
and uh, sometimes they are where technology is going to take us and sometimes it is where technology has us right now. Uh, often they are a bit bleak. Uh, some do have some lighthearted moments which are odd but kind of refreshing uh, when they need to be. Uh, but all in all, they will make you think. Uh, they will make you look at, at your life and examine the things that you do. Like just an example, there's an entire episode where everybody's life is determined uh, by their rating and you get your rating by interactions with other people, things you do, uh, pictures you post. Uh, so, so think of like Instagram, uh, and, and, or if, if, you know, if getting likes on pictures determined the kind of car that you could drive or, or the kind of places you could go, the kind of buildings you could enter. There's other stories where people have implants, uh, that they get to record everything they see and hear. And, and just what would that world look like if, um, if you could review every conversation you've ever had, uh, it's, it's, it's very fascinating. It's well acted. My favorite episode, uh, features actually two, two fairly major actors, um, Haley Atwell and Domhnall Gleeson. Uh, that one is truly fascinating. And, you know, if you're not watching Black Mirror, you should be. It's just as simple as that. You should be. Nick, anything else before uh, we, we wrap things up? Nope. Well, folks, thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find us over at our website at heckyeahcomics.com or on Twitter at heckyeahcomics. And of course, you can email us whatever you want at heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. Within reason. Within reason. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram uh, at davluz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. You can find Nick attempting to build uh, his own synthesoid family so he will finally have someone to love him yes and of course you can always find us here next week same heck yeah time same heck yeah channel until then goodbye Ever.